Growing and scaling a business is complex. It can be very scary and lonely trying to navigate it all. It comes down to the community of trusted people you surround yourself with. Let's dive in to the Business as People podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back. And we're super excited to have a couple of two geniuses here in the e-commerce world, specifically around Amazon. And so we have Petros and Manoli, who are co-founders of Granitza e-commerce solutions. And we're going to dive into understanding where Amazon is going and how you can leverage that if you're in the e-commerce industry. And Aaron and myself here at Inthink are going to touch upon, you know, we're going to talk about data and really understand the consumer behaviors and messaging. So welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs> so Petros, tell us like, you know, when we were talking offline and it's, it's amazing of the transition of where Amazon has evolved. So like, tell us where was it and where's it going today? For sure. So Amazon has been around for a while, over 20 years now. And when they first opened up their third-party marketplace, everything sort of depended on keywords. Everything was ranked in search based on keyword relevancy. And typically the game for e-commerce sellers was how many keywords can I jam into title, bullet points, product description. And that's how people seem to game the system, you know, when the marketplace was pretty new. That has changed over the last five years. And even in the last three years, when we were, you know, our current version of our company was created about three years ago, we were still heavily focused on jamming keywords into places. And that has changed. Uh, it has changed with Amazon's business model. They have put much more emphasis on advertising. So if you do an Amazon search now, you'll often see that, you know, 70% of your search page is now advertisements. So we say it's become a pay-to-play sort of marketplace. And our clients don't necessarily like to hear that, but uh, unfortunately that is the state of the marketplace. So, you know, in that kind of marketplace, data becomes way more important. Getting the right kind of people to click on your products becomes really important. And you have to really think about what you're doing from start, you know, from the customer's first search to their conversion, to their satisfaction after the purchase. You have to think about that as one United strategy. And that wasn't necessarily the case in the past. When it comes to that, looking at data and kind of really, you guys are looking at the whole life cycle. It sounds simple when you're saying it. What's the difference when someone is trying to figure that out themselves or working, you know, obviously having someone with a lot of experience, like your agency, for example, like, what do you see the gaps are? For sure. So, you know, with the old strategy, you just wanted to sh get shown in as many keyword searches as possible. And you didn't really care so much whether that person was going to buy it or not. It was really just a numbers game. The more people you can get into your listing, you know, the more purchases you could get. But now that you have to pay for that click, and now that Amazon really ranks or uses as a factor conversion rate as a really important ranking on how much your products show up in organic and paid search, you know, you really want to get the right traffic to your listing more than get as much traffic as possible. And, you know, that's the mental mindset shift that we've had to make. And Manolo, you work a lot on optimizing these product pages. What are the things that you're seeing as a pattern of folks now who are doing it common and then a pattern of what you think they should improve on to see the, the better results? So just to build off of what Petros was saying and, and to answer your question, getting the right customers to your listing, super important, but also optimizing your listing, creating images and advertising your product, you wanna make sure you're not just hyping up your product. You wanna really set realistic expectations because 
reviews are so important on Amazon. If you deliver a product and you're hyping it up and not being realistic, you're going to start getting one-star reviews. We've seen this over and over again. You hype up your product, you get bad reviews, and then now you're running ads on a product that has, you know, it might dip below a four-star rating, might dip below a three-star rating. And now running ads becomes worthless. So one thing we really focus on, in addition to all these little tips and tricks, right, is really setting realistic expectations because we want the right customer with the right mindset when they get the product, that it's, it's what they want and they'll write a good review because that's part of the clip, you know, running ads, you know, they're going to be looking at the price. They're going to be looking at the reviews and the number of reviews. So five-star product with 2000 reviews, they're going to order that, but you have to get those reviews by being realistic. When you say like setting expectations, what do you mean by that? Like, what do you feel like people are having for expectations? And I I say this all the time internally. I say, communicate and reset expectations, communicate and reset expectations. Because you got startups to even existing products who are maybe just leveraging the platform, but there's always expectations no matter where you are in the life cycle, the strength of your brand and your product. So what, what type of expectations conversations are you having? So it's really thinking about you have this product and it used to be customer goes into the store and they can actually pick it up. They can actually physically look at it and touch it. And often like you go to the Apple store, they can interact with it. Now the challenge is how do you show them what your product is with seven images with five bullet points, you know, they can't physically touch it. So how do you create that trust that this is the product that they want? So if it's a digital product, like right now I'm on this MacBook, I have this microphone, What's the battery life going to be? What's the material going to be? What features, what expectations can they have on the performance? You know, if it's like a beauty product, like how long does it take to work? How many applications do you need to do? What's the process? You know, I just optimized a skincare routine and we showed the eight step process for how to use it to communicate that like, you know, it's not just apply and you're done, but there's a whole process to this product. And if you think you're going to get some easy solution, that's not what you're getting with this product. So just really like communicating what that product is digitally, you know, making sure they know what they're getting into. Yeah. We recently ran into an issue. I won't call out anybody specifically where we made an amazing marketing campaign, in my opinion. But the issue was maybe the product didn't quite work the way that they had promised. And what we had to do was take that customer feedback and then re-optimize the listing to more accurately explain how this product works. You know, we got a lot of bad reviews that they weren't mad at the product. They were mad because the, the listing said that the product could do things that maybe it couldn't quite do as well as it claimed. And that's one of the advantages of selling on Amazon and, and other marketplaces. You get that customer feedback immediately. You're not waiting in a 12 month product life cycle to, to possibly like redesign your listing images. This client specifically actually redesigned their product based on their customer feedback within like three months. So that feedback loop is, it's a painful feedback sometimes, but it's really valuable if you take it seriously. Aaron, a lot of this sounds like, you know, we talk about customer experience all the time, but also like messaging things of that. So what are you seeing and hearing Aaron, when it comes to helping consumers really understanding what a product is doing? Well, I think, you know, I keep wanting to ask questions about reviews and I think the reviews is like the magic bullet really, you know, because even on Google and all the other networks, 
you know, from a local standpoint, Google Maps, I mean, you see the, the influx of traffic to websites on, on the local side, just from the map pack. So traditionally, in like reputation management and all that, we talk about, you want to always reply to reviews, because you can't take them down, you know, so like, I'm really curious for Amazon, like, how can we leverage those reviews? Like, what's the best way that you've seen to leverage it? Like, is it good to communicate for the owner to say to the one-star review or the person that hates, how do they respond to that? And also, is there a way, if you do have brand bashers out there, will Amazon consider taking negative reviews down if they find them, you know, scrupulous or things like that, you know? Yeah. To answer your last question first, Amazon has never taken down reviews that, that I've seen. You know, once it's up there, unless you can prove that it's fraudulent and I have proven fraudulent ones and they still haven't taken them down. So for us on Amazon, oh, and the other thing is they've actually removed the ability to publicly comment on a review. Hmm. So at this point, really the only thing that we preach is prevention. Yeah. Uh, Everything we do is proactive. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we recommend to our clients, you know, put in a product insert or even just like a sticker on your packaging that has a very clear phone number, email address to get in contact with somebody. That way, when they have an issue, they're not going to their keyboard and typing up a review. They're calling your customer support. And then that person can help them with their problem, give them a refund, give them some kind of compensation to like prevent that bad review from ever showing up. Yeah. Is there a way to leverage people that leave reviews like for advertising stuff? Like, can we create marketing audiences and stuff based on that? Can you clarify that question? I'm not sure I understand. Yeah. So like in Google, you know, or on Facebook, the other ad networks, you can put tracking codes right now on the site to grow an audience, a list, and then create lookalike audiences. So do we have any ability to do that within the Amazon advertising framework? Unfortunately, no. Everything on Amazon is based on either using Amazon's data, Mm -hmm. but really 99% of Amazon advertising is based on keywords and pay-per-click on keyword search. So we have keyword search and we have, you know, what we call listing page targeting. Mm -hmm. And what we try to figure out is the kind of customer that we want to attract, what keywords are they searching for and what other products are they searching for? And we run advertising for those two things. Mm. What Amazon is now adding is interesting. They are sharing some of that first party data and they're giving us more and more access to doing retargeting and what they call sponsor display ads outside of Amazon. And it's a pretty new ad type that they've added. And they're eventually, from what I understand, going to allow us to run ads on things like Amazon Fire TV um, and apps and stuff like that. So they're really expanding what they're doing. But right now our bread and butter is keywords and and products. Cool. Yeah, it sounds like they're going programmatic coming around DSP, (laughs) as they should. (laughs) They've been doing that, but they've had very high minimum investments. So a lot of small brands can't afford it. Yeah. Now they're doing more self-service. And from what I understand in my communications with them is that's going to be available for everybody. Like any size brand will be able to run a commercial on like a fire TV app. Nice. Nice. So like kind of to this, and then we talked about the, like last week when I spoke, you know, where's the line for B2C and B2B opportunities? You know what I mean? Cause I think in this podcast, we're going to have a mixture of those types of mindsets. So like, yeah, absolutely. So Amazon typically, when you think about Amazon as a B2C, you know, it's a person trying to get on there, find the lowest price, find the best product. They have made a a big effort to attract business accounts. They actually have specific business verification procedures now 
where you can actually make an account that is a business account. And towards those business accounts, you can offer volume discounts, special pricing, 30-day terms on invoicing. So they are trying to attract more of a B2B audience. And we're seeing that pay off in the last year, for sure. Okay. And then just one more comment on how do we like leverage reviews in the best way? We harped a lot on like the negative, but there's also a lot you can get from the positive. So, you know, you asked about, can we kind of scrape the data of five-star viewers, build a demographic? Seems like not really, but what we can do, and this is what I do when I optimize every listing, is I'll go to either if that brand already has Amazon listings or I'll look at competitor listings and I'll see what are the happy customers happy about? Do they love the battery life? Do they love this feature? Do they love the shipping? Like, you know, we've worked with like a baker's goods and they like quick shipping because they're creating cakes that weekend for that wedding or, or whatever the event is. So like using that in a listing image, like, you know, quick shipping, reliable, safe delivery, like your products will show up undamaged, things like that, giving them the promises they're looking for. And we can actually find what they want and what they're happy about by looking at five-star reviews on existing listings, whether that's your own listing or competitor listing. Yeah. So like redefine the focus group. It's right under your fingertips. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, you'd have to run a focus group. You'd have to like create your own data. And now it's just, it's all out there. Like customers yeah. talk about what they like what they're mad about, what they want. And you can find that in like 10 minutes. You know, yeah. if you only had 10 minutes, you can get really good data. Yeah. What happens if you find a uh, fraudulent product? Like I've seen mimic brands, you know what I mean? So like I ordered some water, special water at my house from a local delivery, but I went on Amazon. I see you can buy it from there. And then I saw on there, like people saying, well, I tested this water and it's not pH balanced. So it was obviously a fraudulent company selling the water in that name. Are there ways for companies to prevent that or listen for that kind of stuff? And like my fear is like a fraudulent company could mimic a product and then get all kinds of negative reviews and then tarnish a brand altogether. So yeah, are you running into that, that at all? That was an enormous problem on Amazon for a long time. Mm -hmm. And in response to that, they've created what they call brand registry. Okay. So in order to be a part of brand registry, your brand needs a trademark with the government. Okay. And that's how they verify whether you're the actual brand or not. Okay. But people still get around that. And you really have to be vigilant. The yeah. thing that brands can do, if they see someone that's selling a fraudulent product, they have to buy that product, wait till it comes, and then notify Amazon and say, hey, we bought the product. We verified that it's fake. Take this listing down. And they will take it down if, okay. if it's accurate. So they have added those tools in the last couple of years. Okay. But that was an enormous issue in the past, for sure. So they have to have a trademark versus being incorporated? Yeah, you have to have a wow. trademark, the logo, or brand name to be okay. part of brand registry, correct? Wow. Earlier, you mentioned, Petro, smaller brands versus bigger brands. What's the reality of that? If someone's like, I'm too small, I, I don't think this is the right platform for me. So is the opportunity equal across or are there advantages for different brand levels? So it's become more complicated, we'll put it that way. So the level of skill that you need to launch a small brand on Amazon has become way more complicated. But that said, the bigger brands, they may have more budget and they should be dominating, but for whatever reason, they're not. They're missing a lot of opportunities. You'll see a lot of really high quality brands on Amazon with really amateur looking listing pages. They have sort of like, you know, spray and pray approach with advertising. And what we help our clients do is we 
first of all, make them look like a big brand in their presentation. And then we really surgically try to target keywords that are really valuable and then rank for those keywords through a high conversion rate and through you know spending money on those keywords through paid advertising. The big brands, I think, have so much money that they haven't gotten to that level of sophistication yet for whatever reason. So that's where our opportunity is with smaller brands. Like it's the only place where you can launch a brand and have instant distribution to every single state in the country overnight. And that's still true. It's just a little bit more complicated than it used to be. And I think we see that just in, in marketing all the time. You know, Aaron and I see the evolution of just marketing, technology, AI, software. They're trying to make it easier for consumers, but sometimes the complexity and sophistication makes it harder for folks as well. But it is what it is, right? You have to like learn it, evolve and embrace these changes in these platforms like Amazon. When you say keywords and this is from a user myself, I mean, I probably have an Amazon box popping in my house like every other day. I think, you know, but a lot of product research comes down to, to keywords. And I think people don't consider that enough. They just like, I'm looking for a platform to sell my product, but they're not looking at it from a, a keyword or SEO standpoint. Let's say if I'm going to buy a TV, I would research it. And, you know, Amazon ranks, right. For a reason they're ranking higher than Best Buy, you know, and then I look at information, but then I look at like, okay, price. And then like how quickly I can get it. So if I can get it faster at Best Buy and it takes me more time on Amazon, I'm going to research probably on Amazon, see all the reviews because I see the advantage you get all the reviews on Amazon. So I think that's why a lot of folks gravitate towards it and then they purchase it wherever it's convenient. So what are you guys seeing on that space? Like are, are clients losing out on selling their product because of that? Like they're leveraging Amazon, but then they're leaving Amazon. So they're not, they're not converting. So that doesn't bother me so much. So what we've seen is the more we advertise on Amazon, the more sales people get on their own site. And we don't see that as a bad thing. In my mind, you know, you're familiar with the marketing funnel. You know, there's awareness, consideration, conversion. And some people come to Amazon to do research. And those people, we should show certain type of creative and a certain type of ad. And they're looking for certain kinds of keywords. Very generic, you know, more category level keywords. And then you have the people that are looking for something really specific and, you know, the long tail keywords. And typically those people are literally like, they have their credit card out ready to buy. And those two customers types have different strategies and different creative. And I don't see a lot of brands necessarily using different creative for those two market, you know, those two types. But you're right, like Amazon right now, it's 50% marketplace, 50% search engine and research. And people really trust for better or worse, what that Amazon listing looks like, what those reviews say. And then they'll go to a brick and mortar store or to the brand's website and make that purchase. Manoli, what, what are some of the things that you're doing to help knowing that you get into the traffic, right? From that research, like what are some like tips to so, optimize that? Cause it's competitive. Like I see like yeah. the same listing and it's like, okay, this is like five different, looks like potentially foreign brands. Then you see a, like maybe a domestic brand, like and all these people selling the same thing. How do you have that competitive listing stand out? So to tie, I'll, I'll answer your question, but I want to tie it into the keyword question as well, because what we've been doing, Petros launched his own brand selling baklava. And, you know, we get to experiment, we get to try a lot of things with that brand, which is really cool. And one thing we've been doing from a creative and content perspective is 
those are these headline banner ads on Amazon. So when you search sponsored headline ads, it'll show three products and you can even include a custom image. And that image can change based on the keyword you're targeting. So what we did for Valentine's Day this year was we created a custom Valentine's Day graphic, you know, someone gifting their significant other a box of the baklava. And we were running that on Valentine's Day specific keywords. So, you know, you're a customer, you're ready to buy, you want a Valentine's Day gift. That's a provocative image. Oh, here's baklava. There's a heart, you know, it's pink. It's a giving kind of thing. This week we're running, it's Greek Independence Day, Friday, March 25th. And we're running, you know, a custom image in that headline banner ad with a Greek flag, the baklava with a Greek flag. So imagine you're Greek and you want something for Greek Independence Day. You plug in the keyword, boom, Greek baklava, Greek flag. I, I trust this brand. You know, they know what I want. They're promoting Greece. So that's a huge thing, but really it's like, creating content specific to keywords is huge. And you can do that for video ads as well. Do you think there's a merging and strategy between SEO and Amazon that we could do, or do we need to really look at two different entities altogether? Like, cause we do a keyword research for SEO. So can we basically take those and use those in Amazon directly? Yeah, so sometimes we do get a, like a list from Google AdWords. You mm -hmm. mean? Yeah. Sometimes that's the starting point for what we start to test out. But the good thing about Amazon is you can, aggregate keyword list. So I can have a testing keyword list. I have a keyword list that I already know is going to convert, but yeah, we're always testing. We don't take anything for granted. You know, we take that Google list, we'll test it. We'll see the click-through rates, conversion rates at a keyword level. And yeah. then we'll take the ones that we know are most valuable and put those into the SEO design of that listing page. Mm -hmm. So we'll update the keywords within that listing page. And then that'll be much more relevant to those keywords when someone types them into search. Cool. So that's question. Are you guys also considering, you know, we, we use SEMrush as well. And if other you know, marketers are listening, they're using all these different tools, what recommendation, like walk us through a little bit of kind of like your research process or your building process. Yeah. So Manoli touched on this a little bit earlier, but you know, your current competitors are a treasure trove of information. Uh, there are some tools. One really good one is called Helium 10. And that actually lets you, you know, pick a bunch of your competitor listing pages, put them into their software, and it'll show you all the keywords they're ranked highly for. So our first starting point is like, all right, this person's already selling 100K a month. We're selling zero a month because we're brand new. At least we can know, you know, how do we get to their point by looking at what keywords they're ranked for. But then in the background, we're also doing keyword testing, keyword discovery campaigns, so that we're doing even better than them in the long term. But when we first launch, like that's where we start. We start with that competitor research. We see how they're doing, how they're having success. We avoid their mistakes. And that's usually a pretty good strategy for the first couple months. And when you're doing testing, how long are you guys running tests? How many variations? I think a lot of people, they fall short because either they're giving up too quick. So what's your best cadence for that? We usually tell people it's going to take three months to get a really good picture of your keyword list. The first month is just straight up testing. You know, don't look at these numbers. Don't get upset if they're not great in the first month because we're really like using a wide range of, of keywords. And then over time, it just gets more and more refined. We get more and more like exact match type keywords. The brands we've been working with for years now, you know, 95% of their sales come from exact matches. Like that's how refined and that's how much data we have. 
Aaron, what other aspects of like, how does this tie into, you know, the overall strategy for companies? Because of course, like Amazon is not the only platform, right? So when someone's considering this, what are other elements they should be considering in their overall strategy? I think it comes down to the channel mix, you know, like understanding where your customers are, where they're going. And, you know, I mean, Amazon is one of the most amazing brands in our modern world. I mean, from the concept of the brand identity itself to what they've done and how they evolved from the bookstore into a supply chain itself, you know, I mean, it's like, whoa, so kudos there. So, you know, it's just, I think everybody has to have a pulse on where their customers do live and how much you're able to invest into your ad budget and your organic efforts and then segment from there and pivot based on results and stuff. And so that kind of leads me into a question I've been thinking about, like, what are your typical conversion rates and click-through rates? You know, because like Google search, we're happy with the 5% click-through rate. I mean, if you got 10, 15%, awesome. Conversion rates, you know, up to two, three, four, 5% is great on the search side, you know, on display, a 0.2, you know, sweet. So like on Amazon, is it more like the display or is it a different world on the results side? It always depends on ad types and, and targeting, but in general, the rule of thumb, an average ad on Amazon gets a 0.4% click-through rate. Mm-hmm. Obviously that depends on competition, branding and all that, but some ad types have higher click-through rates. So video ads seem to have a 10 times better click-through rate than a regular Amazon ad. Conversion rate has an opposite story. You know, we're seeing averages of 10% conversion rate. Uh, If some of our brands have high repeat customer rates, so they're up to like 40, 50% conversion rates in some cases. So you see way higher conversion rates, but lower click-through rates typically. Yeah. And I think it comes down to the way that people consume that channel too. You know, like I said, if you're going into a store and you're going to go do some price checking on demand right there, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting to see where these things go and how we can leverage them. How much do you guys focus on like qualitative versus quantitative data? It's a mix. In this team right here, that's on this call, I'm the data and, you know, I'm the analytical quantitative and Manoli's more of the qualitative and we seem to work pretty well together to figure out that perfect balance. I think a lot of people make the mistake, they think Amazon, because it's a pay to play at this point, has become you know reduced to a mathematics game. And it's really just half the story. So I would say about half of our effort is on you know data, qualitative, and the other half is trying to understand the psychology of the customer that is purchasing. Manoli, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, when we're maybe considering launching a product in a personal brand or launching a product with one of our clients' brands, we will look at, you know, Petros will scrape the data and see like how much money is is being purchased in this category. What's the competition like? And what I'll do is I'll look at like, what do these listings look like? Like if there's a competitor, like let's just say it's a huge market and our competition selling it lower than we would or like higher price and a worse listing. It's like, oh, we can enter this space, deliver a better product at a lower price and create a better listing. Oh, huge opportunity. So the qualitative there would be like looking at, are the bullet points optimized? Are they writing the right, you know, details on the product? Are the images optimized? Do they have A plus content? Do they have a brand store? You know, the more no's you get on that, it's like the more of an opportunity there is. Aaron, with the data transformation stuff that we're constantly focused on, we're helping our clients you know, do some predictive modeling, right? Like understanding what marketplace to go into, what opportunities, if it's a new product launch or a new marketplace, data is everywhere, right? And it's understanding how to do that. So like, how do you guys advise someone to say like, I want to get into this space. 
does it make sense? You know, like, can I compete? Can I win? How do I win? What's my budget? So like, how do you help someone make sure if it's the right choice for them? So if they're hiring us to help them make that choice, we will do it this way. We'll, I only went into a couple of these details already, but it's really a, what's the demand currently for this? How strong is the competition? How many reviews do they have? That will give us a pretty good idea of how much effort and how much money it's going to take to catch up to those brands. Once in a while, we get clients that are launching completely new products in a new space, and they're actually going to like create that demand for that product. And in those cases, like that qualitative understanding of your customers, it becomes really much more important than whatever like the current demand is. But for, for a general product that's already sort of has some competitors, you really want to see how much people are spending in that category and how much work it's going to take to catch up and then overtake your competition. You're not going to get there on day one and, and beat the world for sure. So if it's a new product, what does your gut say? Google ads or Amazon? <clears throat> uh, honestly, at this point, I think a lot of people are avoiding, you know, the Facebook space temporarily, at least. I'm a big fan of pay-per-click because that's what I spend most of my time on. Mm-hmm. And I'm a fan of Google. Google's great in most things. Amazon's really good at product research and product searches. Mm-hmm. And they spend a lot of time perfecting that algorithm and figuring out how to show products that people are actually going to buy. So I'm a huge fan of Amazon for bottom of funnel type searches. Google is great for products for top of funnel and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So they're both important. We'll put it that way. That was a wonderful answer. I like that. <laughs> I think a lot of folks, sometimes they'll come to us and say, I just want to do Google ads. And you can't just do one channel. You know, consumers don't behave that way. So is there like a, a minimum amount of channels, a minimum amount of budget that you feel is necessary to have success? Yes. I think three channels for sure. Your own branded site, which is probably not going to get any sales at first. Amazon is 55 to 60% of the e-commerce market definitely need to be on there. And Walmart is, I think at this point, 5% of the e-commerce market and growing fast. And I see them, you know, possibly tripling that in the next 10 years. Definitely get on Walmart today if you can. And then if there's any niche sites, like if you sell pet products, get on Chewy. If you sell home goods, get on Wayfair. You know, any niche sites you should probably be on. They all have third-party marketplaces. And obviously handmade goods on Etsy is is a good place. So someone who's looking to level up and they're hearing all this stuff, like, wow, there's like a lot of work. This goes back to your saying it's a little more complex now, right? But it's not really complex. It's actually what is necessary today. You know, is like people need to appreciate how consumers are buying, how they're consuming and they have to evolve or else they're going to be left in the dust. What's the average turnaround time where you start to see just progress you know, because I think people are so eager. They wanted the results yesterday. Like what's a realistic expectation? Yeah, it's, it's a tough question, but I can give you a couple examples. So some products, the design team just understood what the customer wanted and it wasn't necessarily available at any competitors. Those products take off immediately because they've resonated with the market in a way that no one else has. On the other side of that spectrum, I could tell you the Baklava business we started a couple of years ago, the first year we were selling, you know, one unit a day on Amazon, but that type of business, the, the engine of growth is repeat and loyal customers. So that kind of business just continually improves over time, as long as you keep consistent. So it really depends on what type of product and how much competition there is out there for it. 
we discuss a lot about demand gen versus lead gen. I think I want to get your take on this too. And of course you too, Aaron, right? Because like from a demand gen standpoint, that's really at the end of its brand, right? So you start to build your brand affinity. And I, I really feel like longer you, you work on that, the results compound. Whereas some people go right into lead gen, they don't focus on the branding, which is demand gen. And they're like, why am I not seeing conversions and results? I'm doing all these ads. So like, what's the balance there? I guess like, do you not do lead gen? Do you tell them to wait and develop more demand gen? What, what, what's the advice you guys give there? I think Manoli can get into more of the details, but I'll give you the overview. Without the foundation of the strong brand, there is no success. So without having that strong brand that can do that demand generation, there is no chance of success. You have to have a strong brand. So we won't even take on a client unless they either already have a strong brand or they're committed to creating one with us. I mean, I think since we all shop on Amazon, I think one thing we all know is that if you go to a listing and there's just like bad images and like, you know, blurry black Times New Roman text over it, it's like, we're just not going to trust it. And that's where like the importance of the brand identity comes into play where it's like, if there's consistent color, consistent font, beautiful graphics that are, they all match an identity, customers are just going to trust that like, this brand has put a lot of effort into this listing. And also they're accountable. If something goes wrong, they're identifiable as uh, an entity versus like, you know, this black font times the Roman, whatever listings, they could just wipe the listing or change it. There's no identity. There's no brand there. So having that brand identity is important because there's accountability and they can be easily identified. And it's just at a subconscious level, it's just, people trust it because it looks good, you know? Yeah. And, and you prove with your design and your brand, the investment in your brand on Amazon, that isn't a knockoff product, that it's not going to show up at your house and be, you know, fake spring water or something like that. Yeah. Someone just drop shipping a product. They might just put minimal effort into it and you can tell someone who's shot these beautiful, you know, this drone shot video of travel backpacks through the mountains of Ireland, you're going to know like, They've invested in their brand. They're not going to go through all that trouble and then like skimp on the delivery of the product. And it's all subconscious, but it really does make a huge difference. All that extra effort and brand identity. Aaron, do you think if we were to put like a number on this, right? Like, cause some people will say like, I don't need to put all this investment into all this stuff. I'm selling. Like we're making results. And we've had conversations with clients where it's like, yeah, you grew 40%, but did you know if you could have grown 80%, like you don't know what you don't know. Like there's this like opportunity cost that they are unaware about because they didn't do all the right steps when it comes to like branding or just optimization, understanding customers. And I mean, there's so many things, layerings, right? D data. So like, what do you feel is like that gap? If you were to guess on a percentage or if you guys have any data around like doing the work the right way, putting that investment time into it now versus not doing it. What do you think is the opportunity loss there? Aaron. I don't know. I think that'd be an answer they'd have to get from <laughs> Amazon's side. From my overall side, I say ignorance is bliss until you understand what you're ignorant to, you know? I think looking at ROI demand, I mean, that's going to be the key indicators I, I would focus upon to see, okay, here's where we can go and here's where we are. Are we doing it right? And then that's where the success metrics come in, like understanding the norms of those marketplaces. So like if you're hitting that 0.04, 
okay, that's cool. But what if we hit a 0.08, then we're killing it, right? I mean, even though it's a little bit, but it's a lot. You know what I mean? So those types of things is what I would think about. Yeah, I, I would say the easy answer is, you know, you're missing out on 55% of the market, possibly. Uh, a more correct answer is it depends. <laughs> if you have a brand new brand that no one knows about, Amazon is the place to launch that, I think. In the first few months with new brands, they see 70, 80% of their sales come from Amazon. Uh, I saw that with my brand. We're still like 75% Amazon sales just because people trust Amazon. The trick is how do I get that Amazon traffic to shop on my site? And that doesn't have an easy answer. But if you're launching a brand new product, you have to be on Amazon, I feel. I don't see there's any other way at this point. And another thing Petros earlier in the podcast talked about, a lot of big brands are, are doing fine on Amazon, but they're not doing things the right way. And they're actually missing out on a lot of opportunity. I think part of the reason they're missing out is because, Com, like you said, they're doing well, you know, like they're hitting, they're making sales because they have like a big brand name. And what they're not realizing is like, if had they optimized these listings and done the right thing and built that branding into their Amazon profile, they would be doing so much better. But like, because they have this big brand recognition, this big brand name, they can just piggyback off of that. And like, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll do some sales. Like they'll, they'll do fine. Just throw it up and people will order it but not as well as they could be. Yeah, and that's one of the things we help our brands take advantage of. So a big brand has all this brand equity. You can find it in every store. So people are going to click on those listings. But when they click on that listing, you know, several thousand times a day, I can run an ad for one of our clients right next to that buy box that looks higher quality than their listing graphics. And we'll let them do all the work, pay for that first ad click. And then we'll get a certain percentage of those sales, you know, through that last second ad that we put on their listing page. So that is an awesome hack there. And I think, well, maybe it's not a hack. It's, a, it's just the right tactic, right? So I'd love to have you guys back. We're kind of at the end of the hour, if you believe it flew by. And let's do a deeper dive on that. I think just giving some people some ideas and tactics and examples would be great to kind of help people leverage the traffic from bigger brands. So you still have to get that market share. But thank you for all your time today, guys. Um, if, if people wanted to reach out to you and just had some questions, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? That's a good question. So uh, I think the best way to reach out is to email us at accounts at granitza.com. Actually, probably the best way is to go to our website and fill out our form. And that'll actually get to us with some of the, the brand's information, but also feel free to email us directly. Or they could find you on Amazon, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sure. we'll put all the information in the show notes so all right guys thanks for your time today thanks for having me. thanks calm thanks aaron thank you if you have any questions and topics you'd like us to cover please email me at podcast at or message me on linkedin